All right, and welcome back into not just another sports podcast. We are bringing you a little Royals exclusive here. Um, as the season winds down and the baseball playoffs are starting, um, I thought I would take a little bit of time here to talk one-on-one with someone who knows a lot about the Royals, probably more about the Royals than I do. Joining me now is Lucas Murphy. He, um, well, Lucas, why don't you just tell us yourself where all we can find your work at? Yeah, sure. Um, so I uh, actually started the beat of Kansas city. Uh, I really, it start, started together as a YouTube channel. Um, you can find majority of like my visual aids and kind of my walkthroughs is going to be on the YouTube channel. Uh, you get a lot of like one-on-one engagement through Twitter and that's going to be at the beat of Kansas or excuse me, the beat of KC. Uh, and then a lot of my writing is going to be through the say it again network, or as some people know it as the SIA network. And then I also do, um, specific writing for the Royals through the SI uh, Fan Nation uh, Kansas City Royals site. So I do write for them as well. Uh, and that's where majority of the Royals content is really going to be at. And then also through the SI network. Um, I recently just started a podcast with a good friend, Jacob Milham. Uh, we do a, a show called the Royals Rundown. And we are uh, about four shows, four episodes in. And Getting right, we're really excited to to start into the off season. So when you asked me to come on and talk Royals, I was super excited. So thank you for having me. Yeah, absolutely. And you alluded to the podcast, or not to the podcast, to the off season a little bit. And I feel like this is a super important off season for the Royals. Um, for a long time there, it was kind of like, okay, who can we sign that we can flip at the deadline and maybe you know maybe make some savvy moves to help make the long term outlook of the t- team better but honestly this is a super crucial offseason in my opinion and I think it it really kind of begins what is their contention window with the players that they have on the roster currently Um, but real quick before we get to hot stove season and talk about the offseason a little bit I just want to kind of get your opinion do you how do you view view the 2021 season do you think it was a success a push meaning it wasn't really a success or a failure or a failure just in your objective opinion. And uh, it for me, I'm going to kind of break this down just a little bit. I know you said for my opinion, um, I think you have to look at it a couple ways. I think from, you know, from an overall organizational standpoint and from ownership, I would say it was a success just because coming off of a pandemic year, you know, they got the team and they got zero fans. They got a shortened season. They got no revenue. Um, so th- from an actual baseball um, you know, business standpoint, I would say it was a, a success for them. Um, for me personally, though, I would say it was kind of just a push. Um, I think we saw some positivities. And I think you could say that there were some things that you really kind of, I mean, Salvador Perez, what a year, what an incredible year. Nikki Lopez, another, another perfect example of an incredible year. So there were flashes in the pan. There were things to definitely be excited about and to watch. Um, it's not quite a failure just because I think, you know, you give a window to, for Dayton Moore and you want to give him a time span to where he can have some success to rebuild. We're not a big market team. We've never been known to spend just, you know, Boston, New York Yankees, Dodgers type money. So he has to build from the ground up. And when all his players were sold off, traded, whatever they ended up choosing to do, he had to start from the ground up and, Just like a house, you have to build everything that goes with it, and that's exactly what he's doing. So I don't want to necessarily say it was a failure, but I don't think from 
an on-field baseball perspective, it was a success just because we also didn't finish probably where I envisioned. I figured we would at least fit, finish like maybe possibly. I was, again, I'm an optimist. Anyone who's listening, I'm an optimist. I figured we would finish like third or even second. I think, I believe we ended up finishing fourth, um, which to me was a disappointing, you know, I, I especially with the way the Twins played who finished below us and I really thought we had probably a better position going into this year than the Detroit Tigers, um, but that definitely didn't end up being the case. So um, that that's where I would be. I would definitely say it was kind of a push season. Yeah, I think I think that that's pretty good analysis there. Um, you know, I, I, I will agree with you that I'm going to call it a push. And if I had to lean one way or the other, I think I would probably lean more towards the negative side of that Mm -hmm. simply because some of the, I I look at it as a positive that they found out a lot about the players that they have on the roster, especially some of the players that are getting closer. Like, you know, at the beginning of the season, there was this idea that Jacob Junis and Brad Keller were some of the best pitchers on the roster. And I think both of those myths have been dispelled. I, you know, I still think that, um, Brad Keller probably has good innings left in him, whether it be out of the pin or as a spot starter. I don't know that he's, you know, ever going to be our ace like he was viewed at at this time last year, probably. Um, but, you know, we found out good things and bad things about players. We found out good things about players like Nicky Lopez. Um, you know, I think that, you know, players like Carlos Hernandez, we found out a lot of really good things sure. there. And, you know, I, I think that's one of the things that's hard and about prospects is is that they are just that that they're never going to be more than just prospects until they get up here we still have a lot of hope for Daniel Lynch and Brady Singer and Chris Bubich and all those guys Asa Lacey some of the people we haven't seen yet Um, but you know some of the things we found out about those guys weren't great Jackson Coar I you know he he's still looking for the strike zone I Mm -hmm. um, and some of those things are concerning and that was some of the things that make me lean it a little bit more towards the negative. Obviously, Salvador Perez had a fantastic season. Um, I, I think one of the I think one of the most important things that we found out about the Royals though this year is that um, truly the development of the three guys in the minor leagues. Who, to me, the most important thing that the Royals need coming up is offense. I've seen some people say that they're still up in the air about pitching. I firmly believe with the pitching that they have in-house and then what they can, I mean, if JJ Piccolo and Dane Moore have proven one thing, it's that they can build a bullpen from the scrap heap. So I'm never worried about that element of it. Um, But the development of those three guys is definitely the biggest positive for the 2021 season. MJ Melendez, Nick Prado, and Bobby Wood Jr. Um, that, That was huge, especially because Melendez and Prado this time last year, they were lost, you know, they Mm -hmm. didn't have, they didn't have the season because of the COVID pandemic. And then um, they had abysmal 2019 Prado was all but forgotten as a prospect because of the strikeouts and credit to the organization for making over his swing and working on his plate discipline and really lofting him back up into what we hope is the first baseman of the future. For sure. Um, You know, to kind of go along with that though, I would have to say, though, I think the biggest thing from that pandemic year is exactly the result that we're seeing. I think, you know, you you created an alternate site where that allowed those players to not have the pressures of being a professional baseball player on them. 
I understand that's what they're paid for. That's what they're there for. They're drafted to do that. But all that pressure was taken off and they were able to work one-on-one and build camaraderie with every single person that, you know, those specifically the three that you listed, but you know, like those guys were able to build camaraderie and work together and kind of create that brotherhood that I know when I played college baseball existed. And so I know those guys were doing that. There was no fans watching them as they were competing against each other. They were learning the game of baseball. And I think that result is exactly what we saw this year. Um, I wish that could be, I guess, done or optimized a little bit more. And some people will say that's what like extended spring training's for. That's what spring training's for. I don't think to that extent. Um, So to kind of go along too, you know, I really agree with everything. It's going to be interesting to see how these new roles with like Dayton Moore is in place. Is he actually going to be taking a new role or is it just a new title? Um, is to JJ me, Pico- to me it sounds a lot like what's going on with, um, I think there's several organizations that run like this, like uh, the Giants run like this, where there's the president of baseball ops who more or less has the final say on everything. And then there's the GM who does kind of the more day-to-day stuff. I, the way that I interpreted this, I think the A's have this as well, where basically Dayton Moore gets the kind of more executive outlook on things. His day-to-day isn't as much as a, as a grind. And mm-hmm. then Piccolo takes over some of the more day-to-day stuff. But I mean, it, it is, I still think it was a good sign, a good deal overall because yeah. you kept a valuable asset in JJ Piccolo in-house. Sure. And I think that was the main target of that move. For sure. He's definitely, I would say from, from my understanding, he's a lot more of the analytics and where baseball is going from a statistical standpoint. So I, I agree with that 100%. I, I mean, and the reason I say that too, is because I, not to kind of get off on a limb or not whatnot, but I do think this Michael A. Taylor contract is a perfect date more example. Um, you know, I, I understand the reason why we, we did that. Um, but I would have liked to see them at least, uh, maybe see what could have developed in free agency. I know those guys are probably on top of it anyways. They know what the market's probably already going to be like, but it would have just been interesting to see if maybe they could have finagled something or been able to to get something. I get I get their whole idea behind defense and the vision for defense moving forward, but you know, I it, to kind of come back to what you said originally, I think this all comes back to offense. I'm truly not worried about pitching. Carlos Hernandez looked fantastic. He's only going to get better if he continues to kind of get that mentorship and, you know, just continues to evolve. I really like Jonathan Heasley. I think he's going to be a stud. Um, I'm not the biggest fan of Jackson Coar. My first piece I ever wrote for Casey Kingdom was is, is Jackson – or not Jackson Coar, excuse me, um, Brady, Brady uh, Singer. Um, I said he was going to be a bust probably. Um, when you throw two pitches, you just, you're not going to be successful as a starter in the major leagues. So I, I like some of the pitching aspects. I agree 100%. The, the hitting is what needs to come. You need to score runs. And we're seeing that with the teams that are making the playoffs. Now they have the yeah, ability to go yeah. out and just, just smash the ball. And that's, that's, what's going to be important. And I'm, go- I'm glad you brought up the Michael Taylor, Michael A. Taylor deal, because I, poo-pooed it on Twitter and it made people mad, which that's really what that app is for. Yes. But here's the thing. The reason why I don't like the Michael A. Taylor signing is because for all intents and purposes, we've learned a lot about Nikki Lopez this year. And you feel like Nikki Lopez 
has a role on this team almost every single day because he does play good defense and he's the highest on base percentage guy the Royals have. And that mm-hmm. has value. Um, I see I what and we'll, this is actually leads us nicely into our next topic, but signing Michael A. Taylor almost guarantees you that you have two defensive first players locked in at eight and nine. And here's the thing, Michael A. Taylor, the deal that the Royals signed Michael A. Taylor to is something that the Red Sox or the Dodgers do. And he sits on their bench and they bring him in in a game and he makes a huge play in the postseason or something like that. But everything you get from him is all supplement value because you're not counting on him every single day. He's a piece of the puzzle. I, Overall, does it bother me the money? No, one, because it's not my money. And two, we know that the Royals are making a profit. But for the Royals, that's reasonable money. And I, I just feel like it, it is locking Michael A. Taylor into center field, you know, 140 games a year, whenever that is a hole and has been a hole since Lorenzo Cain has left. Mm-hmm. And that was one of the few places that I looked at that the Royals could really upgrade with or possibly move one of the players that are crowded in the infield. Correct. And I, I agree with that statement 100%. And to kind of go along with what you just said, I mean, that's exactly what he was when he was with the Nationals. He wasn't a starter. He was a spot starter. Um, and he came up clutch in, in the postseason. I mean, he was he was the fourth outfielder. So for him to come to the Royals and, you know, I, I get why. I get why we did it because we're defensive. They like the whole defensive mindset and everything like that. But this, let's just be real. This is a hitter's game now. This isn't necessarily pitching. ERAs in the threes are common and from very good starters. I mean, Jacob deGrom is an absolute freak. But if you look at, like, kind of a little bit more of down-to-earth people like Max Scherzer, he's close to a three. Um, you know, so some of those guys are, you know, it's just the way baseball's evolved. It's, you know, launch angles and everything like that. See who can hit at the furrows. Um, excuse me. So – I, I definitely agree. I think you have to start at some point incorporating offense. And with the young guys that are coming, I definitely think that is coming for sure. Yeah. And I, that is probably one of my biggest complaints about the way the roster has been run since the World Series. Is it just feels like um, it kind of feels like that guy who dates a girl and then they break up and he's constantly trying to find a girl just like that girl who left him. Like mm-hmm. it just feels like we keep trying to recreate the same team like bullpen and defense and great base running. And I mean, we know that the Royals as an organization value certain things differently, just like Mm -hmm. the A's are always going to take somebody who has a high on base percentage and walks, but may not be a good defender. We know that the Royals are always like, I swear some teams just draft some players in like the 40th and 50th round. Well, they don't have those anymore, but the late rounds of the draft (laughs) that are toolsy, they're like, Oh, this guy slap hits, but he runs fast and has a good defensive glove. We'll uh, trade him to the Royals for a bag of balls later. You know, like I, I just feel like that's, that's, they just constantly try to recreate that, which I get is at the time in 2015 was a market inefficiency. But if you look at baseball and this is true of football too, the sport is completely different from 2015. 2014 and 2015 was some of the most suppressed offensive years that baseball has seen, which allowed the Royals to get in to that window and get through there. But even in 2015, when the Royals won, they weren't the best offense. They were, they were a timely offensive. They, you know, had great hitting and were able to put the ball in play like a lot of teams were not able to. 
but I mean, they were not the an offensive juggernaut back then either. And I, I just, it just concerns me that we're headed down this path again, that we think we're going to win every baseball game three to two when the ball is juiced, mm-hmm. hitters are better. Hitters don't care about striking out. They want to put the ball over the wall and yes. then pitching is leverage completely different now. I mean, mm-hmm. I, and, and this brings us to our next topic, which I think is a good question when it comes to the offenses where, how do you see all these pieces fitting together? Obviously Bobby Witt Jr. Is the, you know, the gold star of this organization at this point. And I truly believe that where he wants to play should be shortstop and where they should play him as shortstop, because he is the star. You want to put your biggest star at the best place to succeed. Obviously you've got Nikki Lopez who had a breakout season Adalberto Mondesi, who is literally a question mark. Whit Merrifield, and then they've even talked about MJ Melendez playing some third base. We know Hunter Dozier has spent time there. Um, how do you see the infield shaking up, especially the left side of the infield? Um, I'm gonna go ahead and say Bobby Witts at third starting out. I think they give I think they give Nikki shortstop. Um, second base will be Witt. First base starting out will be Santana. Uh, DH is going to be where I envision we might see a little bit of Dozier only because his defense is so subpar. Um, we saw a perfect example the other night in the Indian series ball thrown to him at first base and he can't scoop it. And that's like the number one job as a first baseman. So, um, I envision that Dozier is kind of like kind of taking on the role of almost bench player and like utility, like here and there when possible. Um, but I do envision, I really do think that um, Bobby Witt plays uh, – I definitely think that he plays third base. But what I think is going to be unique is I think there's going to be a lot of versatility now when you start incorporating these guys. So there might be a day where Nicky shifts over to second, Bobby plays short, Monty plays third, and then Witt might go to right field. Um, and I think that's something that you could see as well. He may even play a little bit of center at times as well. Um so I think that's where you're going to start seeing a little bit more versatility, but that's what I envision at least for these guys. Um, I think Prado will be a little bit later of a call-up. I don't think he'll be an initial call-up, and the same goes for Melendez. I think that they want to see them kind of perform and start out a little bit hot in the minor leagues, and then they'll work their way up again. But um, I do envision them definitely being on the team next year. I think Bobby has every opportunity to make it out of spring training as long as he's starting out hot and at least oh man you know, hit- i'm gonna i'm gonna be livid if they do that if you're they, gonna be livid if, yeah if they if, i understand like don't get me wrong there is a powder blue bobby wet jr in my f- future like a jersey for sure <laughs> but to bring him up a month early or a month earlier and waste a full year of service time of like probably what we hope is a superstar in a season that ultimately I don't think anyone's really thinking that the Royals are contending next year, or maybe they mm-hmm. do. I don't know. Maybe I know you said you're the optimist, but well, Dayton, I, Dayton said before he took that role, he's like, Hey, next year we're starting to compete. What that means. I don't know. And that, yeah, I mean, that's coming from him. So. Yeah. Uh, I, I just really, I mean, they've manipulated the service time thus far because there was pressure on them to do it la- this year at some point, even breaking camp. I, I mean, it, it is the threshold is so little to save a full year of service time that I would really like to see them manipulate that, especially given the fact that it's a crowded infield already. You know, mm-hmm. it's not like they're they're playing some just ghost at shortstop. Um, 
Yeah, I, I agree with what you said. I definitely think that Hunter Dozier needs to find the bench and be, um, well, you know, he's already gotten paid, which is fine. I, I tweeted out whenever that deal was signed that I didn't hate it because these are the type of deals that you need to make. If Hunt, the trajectory that Hunter Dozier was on after the 2018 or 2019 that he had, Correct. we definitely were hoping for upside there. And you know what? You tossed the dice and you lost. And mm-hmm. who knows? Maybe next year it comes back different. Sometimes baseball is one of those sports that sometimes guys just have down years. And when the number looks bad, when they step up to the batter's box after like four weeks, they never get it back. And it's, it's very strange like that. But um, yeah, Dozier definitely would like to see him find the bench. Um, my, my question is, and this is where I think this kind of is one of my big things about this offseason, is there needs to be either some sort of major trade that the Royals make to give up some assets for something guaranteed, or I would love to see them sign a big name player. Because to me, the one thing that this roster is missing, and I know that not every team is like this, but it kind of is. They, they need an Eric Cosmer-like player, a mm-hmm. guy who has that swagger, or actually, you know who it was for the Royals. It was James Shields back in 2014 and 15. Mm-hmm. But they need a guy who, come, who can come in, who has done it before, who is a big name, who can come in and say, you know, this is how we win. This is, this is how you do it. And I know that sounds so stupid because you say like, well, Salvador Perez has won a World Series before, but he, I just don't think he's that type of leader, which is okay. But I, I would just really love to see them, honestly, who I'd love to see them sign. I don't think it's ever going to happen, but Chris Bryant. If Chris Bryant could be in right field for the Royals for the next three to four years, he's got a World Series ring, you know, was a major prospect, would be a perfect person to show Bobby Witt, you know, what it's like to come in to be the superstar, former MVP. That's my dream. I don't think it will ever happen. I don't think that he's going to be, you know, after especially playing for the Cubs, I don't think he wants to, you know, stay in the Midwest. I think, you know, he'll probably end up staying in San Francisco or something like that. But, man, that would be a dream. It's it's funny you say that because I played first base in college, so I'm a diehard, you know, anything first base. And my always, like, my go-to sign would be Anthony Rizzo. Um, if, if I think he could be a culture changer, too. I think after playing with the Yankees and then, you know, being with the, the Chicago Cubs and every one of them kind of having the same – age group and they all came up together and they went and won a world series together. I definitely think he has that mentality. And if we ever could find a way to do that, I think that would be absolutely insane. But again, I don't think it will because he's tasted the pinstripes and he's also, you know, played for Chicago. So I just don't envision it happening, but. And that kind of brings me back to the point of the Michael A. Taylor signing, because it feels like this offseason is going to be another one that they kind of nickel and dime. Like, I think they'll make another couple of signings that are similar to the Mike Miner, Carlos Santana signings. Yes. And then 2023, when that money comes off the book, that's when, and Merrifield will come off the book, then I think that that's when they'll, they might go out and splash some cash. Um, especially because I think they want another year removed from the pandemic and all that, which really sucks. And that's what, that's the thing that sucks about baseball is that it's not a sport like football with a cap. Yeah. You know, teams, the bottom line, it seems seems like the bottom line matters more. Um, And that's where I I wonder if, like, maybe, you know, Whit Merrifield's name has been floated out in trades for so long, but in some ways trading Whit Merrifield would make a lot of sense for this team, especially if there was a way that you could get back 
like a prospect that was close to major league ready, or maybe it's one of those kind of rare situations where, you know, you kind of look at like what the Wade Davis deal was, where it's like, here's our major league player for your major league player. Mm-hmm. I, I wonder about that too, because while Wade obviously is a great Royal and we love having him here and he embodies a lot of really good things as a player. I do one, I personally think that Whit Merrifield will never get over the fact that, you know, Mondesi has a world series ring and he doesn't, Mm -hmm. he was passed over so many times for him. And also I, you know, I just, I could see him being successful in another organization. You know, I, I agree. I just think that they missed the boat on that. I think they really missed the optimization for what you could have got for Whit. And I think in, in the seriousness of even really trading him, if you really were, it would have been at the trade deadline this year. Um, I just don't think that they're going to move on from Witt. I think that he's going to be a Royal until his contract's up, and then he may sign here again or he may try to go get a World Series. But I just think that that's how Dayton is. That's one of Dayton's guys. And, uh, yeah, he's loyal to him. So I, I envision him staying here. I just – I hope, you know, to kind of talk about – you know, what you kind of talked about earlier, I think you're really going to be able to identify the level of their seriousness towards competing based on the moves that they make this offseason. If they make some Wade Davis's, Greg Holland, uh, Carlos Santana type moves, I'm going to say that they're not being serious about competing and it was all just kind of smoke. I think they've done that multiple times with us when, you know, they go out and sign these guys and they hype them up to us. A perfect example you stated earlier, Brad Keller, when we were like all believing he was this ace, you know, and thinking that he's going to be the greatest pitcher in the Royals for a while. And it's like, yeah, we saw what he's ended up being. I think they're, they're good at selling the fans. Um, and so I think it, the true, true people are going to be able to see how serious they are uh, at competing come this uh, off season. You know, we've talked over at SI a couple of times, you know, it'd be interesting to see if they would have made a move for like Starling Marte or even like one of the Martes because there's Kettle Marte as well. Um, there's a few other guys that they could probably make moves for, but based on like their style and they're just not defensive like gurus out there. And especially with how big Kaufman is, that would probably be a concern. So I don't know. I, I It's going to be tough. I just hope that they do take it seriously um, because, yeah, this – if you plug this team back out there again, I just don't see, you know, getting any of a better result than you did this entire season. Yeah. And I, I think the thing that's concerning is the American, I do think that the American league is kind of, it actually reminds me a little bit of the uh, what's happened. It's the opposite of what's happening with the chiefs. I feel like if you go through and make a top 10 NFL teams right now, there's like seven AFC teams. The AFC has just gotten super strong lately, Mm -hmm. but I do feel like the American league is opening up a little bit. I'm not sure how much longer the Astros window is going to be open. You know, Carlos Correa is close to being a free agent. Um, And, you know, the Yankees they're and the Yankees Red Sox are going to keep doing their thing. Obviously the Rays are a machine, but I, you know, I, the White Sox, I while I do think that their window is obviously open with the players that they have, they're they're pitching, they're relying really heav- heavily on some players that I don't know are going to continue to produce. You know, I don't know how long they're going to get this land, this version of Lance Land that they're getting. Yeah. Um, but I, you know, one of the things that is a little concerning is Detroit has basically passed them as far as their development goes. And, you know, we've seen them spend big cash before back when they had Fielder and mm-hmm. Miggy and David Price and Scherzer. Um, 
You know, I, it, that is one of the things that concerns me too, is that the Royals are going to get all their pieces together. They're going to, you know, okay, we're going to spend this cash. We're going to get this. They're going to get their roster set. And then they're going to find out that their roster is just good enough to win 88 games and, you know, watch the wild card, which is ultimately the worst case scenario. And honestly, it kind of reminds me of um, kind of how the 2000 to 13 to 15 Pittsburgh pirates were, where they were always a good baseball team and they mm-hmm. had good players and they were good enough just to get bounced from the wild card every year. And honestly, the difference between them and the Royals wasn't that great. It's just that the Royals won their wild card game and the, and the Pirates didn't, and the rest is history. You know, and to kind of go along with what you were saying, I'm honestly, from a longevity standpoint, way more concerned about the Tigers than I am, I would say, majority of the teams in our division just because of their depth at pitching and some of the guys that they got coming up. I mean, their pitching depth is is truly insane. I yeah, mean, uh, Casey Mize just mowed them down every time Every time the Royals faced them, it seemed like. Yeah, Casey Mize, a local kid, Alex Lang, who ended up going to LSU and was just a freak at LSU, and he's now pitching They don't for even Bay. have – did Turnbull even play this year? Or is he, he's still in the minors, right? Torkelson? Torkelson, yeah, that's right. Spencer Torkelson, yeah, he stayed down in the minors. Um, he's – I think – it's going to be interesting with them. I think with kind of Miggy shifting out, I wonder if you'll eventually start to see him come up, but he's been playing a lot of third too. So I think I, I would envision probably this next year is when you'll see his appearance, but man, they drafted really well this year. They got Jackson Job. They went and got Ty Madden. I mean, they really loaded up and I mean, the list goes on and on for the, for the Tigers. They, what they're doing there is definitely special and you know, they haven't even reaped the benefits of it yet either. So they're going to be pretty solid, probably, I would say, in the next five years. And, I mean, so much of what they have done is through the draft. And this is this is ultimately kind of the paradox that I think matters the most when it comes to the Dayton Moore philosophy is that they never truly – they never intentionally bottomed out. You know, we look at the – you know, the some of the best – prospects that this organization has right now when it comes to the Royals and it came from the year that they drafted second with Bobby Witt Jr. Mm-hmm. and Dayton Moore's reluctance to ever fully tank and trade players meanwhile the Tigers bottomed out and if the Tigers are going to zoom past the Royals as far as development goes you know that's going to be it's just going to be a little frustrating to know that the Royals still lost you know 100 games the last couple of years and could have done more to lose and draft better players. And ultimately, you know, if they just come up short. But I don't want to just dwell on the negative because I <laughs> am a little bit of a Debbie Downer. Base, dude, baseball is just hard to it, – it's so fun when it's, when it's competitive and it's good. But whenever it's not, it, it's so hard to see the light. Yeah. Because you look at teams like that. I mean, just go read the Dodgers roster or, you know, what the Yankees are running out there right now. Yeah. It's just so hard to ever think that the Royals can have that. And baseball, you know, baseball, it, it is a clock. It has, it's the pendulum that just keeps going back and forth there for a while back in the nineties, there was just that phase where the Royals and some of these other teams that drafted well were just farm systems for the Yankees and the Red Sox. Mm -hmm. And then that corrected itself because the Red Sox and Yankees started handing out massive contracts to to players and overspending for them. And they ended up getting tied up in bad deals and old aging players that got hurt a lot. And that allowed, you know, teams like the Royals and, you know, we saw the Angels win the World Series in 2003 and the Rays went to a World Series. It allowed some of those other teams to sneak in there. 
But now the problem is, is, you know, the money ball per se has been discovered by the big market team. So not only are they smarter, but they spend their money better. You know, like the freaking, I, I'm like a low key Diamondbacks fan because I used to spend a lot of summers in Arizona with my grandparents. Um, like AJ Pollock was a great player. And I knew that the, when the Dodgers signed him, that they would, that they would play him like part time and uh-huh. that he, they would get great usage out of him. And that, that's just an example of one of the signings that they can do that it, it, it makes it hard to be optimistic long term about a small market team. Yeah. And I think, uh, you know, uh, a perfect example of what you have to do and as crazy as it is, and there's zero fan support. I actually wrote an article on the Tampa Bay Rays the other day. And I mean, they legitimately poured it on this season and had had seven upwards of 700,000 people attend their games. I mean, that's insanity because, you know, they've averaged over a million and a year that they're going to the playoffs. They're one of the top, I mean, top teams that are going to be competing for the world series and they just have zero fan support. And that just blows my mind. But to, to kind of go along with what you're saying too, like as a small market club, they've been able to scout. They've been able to sign strategically. They draft flawlessly. They make perfect trades. I mean, not every single one's going to be perfect, but they seem to find a way to do that. And that's to me what to kind of correlate that with the Royals. I feel that Dayton's never drafted well at all. I mean, yes, he's done the Bobby Witt. You know, 2018, we're starting to see some of the fruit, you know, come from that tree. But, you know, you got to go back to the years where we've swung and missed on so many pieces. Now, has he been great in international signings? Yes. But his drafts have been atrocious. And that's if you're going to be a small market team, you have to capitalize and you have to be able to find those players. And I get that it's hard, but you have to be able to do that. The Tampa Bay Rays are doing it. I mean, Oakland was able to do it. You could go down the list. There's been a ton of teams that have been able to scout and do what they're supposed to do and then produce those players. They just end up going somewhere else. Yeah, and I I think that that's really true. And I I think if you look at the reason why the Royals window closed, I think there's there's two reasons. One, I think they signed the wrong player long-term. I think that they should have went for Moustakis or Hosmer long-term, even though Hosmer hasn't done a whole lot in um, San Diego. I, you know, Moustakis or Kane probably would have been the best players rather than Alex Gordon. Um, And then the other thing is, is they, you know, they had a good run with draft picks back when, you know, they were on the cover of baseball America with the, all the guys that were such top prospects at the time. But then immediately after there, you had all the picks that are killing the organization. Now, Christian Cologne, um, you know, obviously, um, Bubba Starling, Bubba Starling, Luke Hochaver, you know, it's over drafting Luke Hochaver over Clayton Kershaw, you know, all those things hurt the organization. And, and that's, mm-hmm. that's where I think they're feeling it now. Cause if Christian Cologne was the player he's supposed to be right now, you know, he'd be at second base right now and be an everyday player that you could count on. And Correct. if, you know, if Bubba Starling was, you know, Mike Trout-esque, like he was supposed to be, you know, things would look a lot different. Obviously yeah. every draft doesn't work, but they, they had, and you know, that's not even including, Oh, what was the kid they drafted in 2015? Ash Russell, who yeah. like got the yips and doesn't even play baseball anymore. Uh-huh. Um, th- yeah. There's, there's a lot of, there's a lot of stuff that led us to where we are now for sure. But yeah, the draft is definitely, and I'm hoping that with Dayton switching to that president role that 
maybe the draft will improve. Clearly 2018 was a really great draft for the organization with all the pitching they acquired. And there's reasons for optimism um, there for sure. Yeah. And I'm going to be interested to see how this class that just, we just finished up actually pans out too. Cause we, we did some, uh, you know, we went the different route this time we drafted high school. And so, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how the young pitchers end up developing. And I, I think that they got a system in place and they're kind of are working that system. It's just putting the right players in that system. And, you know, they've, they've drafted now probably three years in a row heavy in the college. And this year they switched it up and you went high school to probably to let those players develop a little bit more as your other guys start to, to fast track to the majors. And so I, I get what they're doing and that you can see the vision. It's just those players have to be the ones. And uh, I mean, that's always the biggest question mark when it comes to baseball. Yeah, yeah, they're focused on signability with Matsukato. All that will be interesting for sure. Um, I wanted to ask you two more questions. Uh, the first one was kind of, this is a player that I'm really torn on because if you look at the analytics on him, he's really kind of pretty, I, he's just above, he's not average, he's not below average, he's just perfectly average. And Andrew Benatendi, do you think that, he is worthwhile for the Royals to lock lock down to a deal. Obviously, he's heading to arbitration. Um, do you think that he's the he's a player that they should kind of invest long term in? I would say yes, but I think there's definitely a fine line of what. Um, I think if he's asking a hundred million, then I'd be looking to make a move. Um, you know, I've I was a big Andrew Benatendi fan when he was drafted. And I thought he had a lot of potential. I think now that we've seen him in the major league, specifically in the American league for a while now, he's not been like that all world. Like we expected, I guess, majority of the people would expect him to become. He's been great, but he's not, like you said, yeah, he was, he's probably been about average. Uh, the defense isn't going to be elite and he's going to be playing left field. So I think they should look to extend them and take advantage of maybe some of the, you know, he had a decent year this year. He was injured and just had – there was a few months where he was just on fire. But um, I think the big question mark is what he's going to be asking. If he's asking $100 million, there's no way. No way. Um, yeah, I mean, I, he, he kind of fits in. I mean, what he profiles out as a hitter, um, you know, he really kind of falls into that same – honestly, he's a little bit closer to Michael A. Taylor than he probably thinks he is. Um, you know, I think a perfect example is the person that came up and who I'm a big fan of is Kyle Isbell. I think those guys are literally the exact same dude. Yeah. And I mean, Isabel did kind of get hot. I was reading a piece by Alec Lewis about how he finished out the year and the Royals are still optimistic about him. I mean, I'm just looking at his numbers. Um, WRC plus of 106. So just slightly above average there. Um, the WOBA versus the expected WOBA. He's he's right where Basically, what you're looking at is all those statistics point to the fact that Andrew Benintendi was exactly what he was supposed to be this year, and that is just a slightly above league average hitter who gets on base at a decent clip. Um, his BABIP wasn't particularly high, so most of that really profiles out to, you know, last uh, – and uh, good on the Royals for selling low. I mean, I, I don't – or selling – yeah, selling, buying low on him because yeah. what they gave up for him wasn't much. He had a terrible year in 2020 because of the shoulder injury, 17 home runs, uh, 73 RBI, eight stolen base, 
Um, you know, his on-base percentage is 324, which is one of the better on the team. Um, but man, man, I, I completely agree with you about the price. You know, if, if they can do some sort of three for 30 or something with him, I'm all in like, cause I think, I think it's a great player. And also baseball is one of those sports where if you suck, but you're getting paid, teams will play you because you're getting paid. Correct. Like, we're going to get, we're going to get a healthy <laughs> dose of Hunter Dozier, whether we like it or not, cause we're going to take our medicine. Cause he's got, he's got a paycheck coming, uh-huh. but you know, if Andrew Benintendi plays more like the 2020 version of him um, and his swing kind of goes back to trying to hit for power and not slapping the ball around. If he's getting three for 30 or something like that, it might be a little bit more digestible to help him find the bench for a little bit or for him to become a platoon player. Yeah. It's just going to be interesting to see what he asks because, you know, I, I think there's a reason why the Boston Red Sox were willing to part ways with him. Um, and I know that they went and traded and got Verdugo and he came up and, you know, that's a way bigger prospect at the time than Benettini was, but Benettini was in that guy's shoes at one point too. So, um, I can see why they moved on. And it, again, it's just going to be interesting to see what, you know, really it's, I think it comes down to where he wants to play. Honestly, is he going to want to go play for a competitor again? is he seeing exactly what you and I are seeing? Like, this is going to be a while. And if I sign here, like, are they going to be competing at this point in time? So I think that, you know, if they're going to try to get an extension, they need to do it probably in the soft season or really like leading. Yeah. yeah. If not, then I don't, I don't see it happening. Yeah. And I mean, even if he, you know, goes through arbitration and then walks, it won't be that bad of a deal considering that they did get pretty good play out of them and turned it over for not that much. Um, so last question is, is just, what do you view as the Royals window for contention? Um, when do you think it's, what, what would you say is reasonable to expect from them next year? Obviously we don't know any of their off season moves. Um, but when do you think they should start contending and what do you think our expectations for them next year should be? Um, I say three years, uh, and, and actually, so my competing is a little bit different because I think a lot of people immediately think competing for the world series. I want to see the Royals actually just compete on a consistent basis for the central. Um, and then I think that starts to speak to then going to the playoffs. If they're competing for the central, then I think us as fans are excited because then that does mean that there's a chance we're going to the playoffs. So let's compete for the central first. So three years for that. And then um, I think next year truly is the year that they have to evaluate exactly what they they truly, truly have. They really need to know, hey, this player either is going to work in this system or they need to move on. Um, And I think that, that, you know, we're going to start to see their guys. We're going to start to see Bobby Witt at some point. We're going to start to see, you know, uh, Nick Prada. We're going to start to see MJ Melendez and, we're seeing some of the pitchers that I'm super excited about, like Dylan Coleman came up, man. I was so hyped for that. Uh, on held, um, Zerpa came up, shoved. Yeah. Uh, I, I think, excited. I think that some of the relief arms that they have in the system are some of the more exciting arms that yes. they have in the system. I mean, you can, you do not have to squint hard to see a situation where Josh Stalma is your sixth inning guy. And, you know, he's shown a lot at times. Um, they, they've really got some guys too. And, you know, you were talking about Brady Singer, he profiles as a guy who would be a plus reliever with his yes. two pitches, especially if they tick up in velocity a little bit. Um, like I said, the pitching, yes, obviously 
my my one thing with the pitching is is that the Royals just need to find they do not need to find Max Scherzer, no, which would be great. But what they do need to find is they need to find some Julio Urias's out there, mm-hmm. some guys who can just like come out and have a three point something ERA with a high K per nine and just come out and get six innings. That's all they need. That's all mm-hmm. they've ever needed. That's all they need in 2015. But a guy who's got plus stuff, because the way it is right now is that we've got guys who are either innings eaters who are training more towards four and a half, five ERA, kind of like Chris Bubich, Mike Miner, Brad Keller vibes, or you've got this guy who's got really dynamic stuff. And some nights is, you know, no runs, seven innings, 10 Ks, or then it's 10 runs, one K and four innings. And that's to me, that is what they need to figure out next year. Like I, I get Dayton says that next year's the year we're competing. No, you need to figure out exactly what your rotation is going to be and keep it that way. Not, you shouldn't see an influx in guys. If you see that, then this is not, this is not going as planned. And um, I think you at least need to see us an established starting rotation. Uh, maybe Mike Miner finds his way in there, whatever, but um, like Jonathan Heasley probably should. I mean, you have so many other guys that are down in the minors from a pitching perspective that have yet to even make it up that are probably better than some of those guys even, and that's what's even crazy to think. Um, Jonathan Bolin, who had to have Tommy John surgery, is recovering. He's coming. There's guys like Daniel Tillo. Uh, there's there's a lot of other guys that haven't even had a chance to even scratch the surface yet and see what they're capable of doing. So there's truly a lot of guys. I think that they're naturally going to be able to fill that bullpen with pieces. And I think it's going to be pretty effective next year. Um, To be honest with you, my, my vision next year would be to kind of finish like third or second. I think if they finish a little bit above 500, not, not super high, but like maybe two games, I think that's a victory for sure. Um, And that's kind of what I project them to do is going to, you know, it's very early on. If they make some crazy moves in the offseason and we start to see some other things happen, then I might have to change that. But just the way the team's shaped up now, I'd say maybe 500, a little bit above. And um, I think that's a win just because I, I expect them to get things in line. Yeah, I, you know, I, I think that that is really fair. And you you were striking, you're uh, telling me that you're the optimist, but I feel like you're very even killed about this. You're, you're right about where I am. Um, really? I, yeah, I feel like, I guess when I say I'm a pessimist, um, you know, it, it's all relative, right? But uh, I see next year kind of being the 2013 Royals. 2013 Royals went 86 and 76, finished third in the AL Central. This is back when the Tigers were like one of the best teams in baseball. Uh, But the Royals that year, they pretty much had their lineup locked in that won the World Series. Salvador Perez was up, Hosmer, you had Chris Getz at second base, uh, Eski was at short, Moustakis. You had pretty much all the pieces in place there. Billy Butler was still there. David Law was their predominant right field and Jeff Francoeur. But the pieces started to come together. Greg Holland was throwing well by then. Lorenzo Cain was there. Luke Luke Haver was back in the pen. Um, Things were starting to come together. And that was the first year that you felt like you could actually check the wild card standings and see the Royals be a part of it. So, um, yeah, I I think that those are good expectations for next year. Obviously, we reserve the right to change our opinion. If they do make some sort of aggressive um, move, you know, if they do go sign someone, that changes the outlook, then we can kind of change our expectation. But 
Um, I do think I do think that now is the time to strike while they are hot, though, because I do think that the Indians, excuse me, the Guardians are still <laughs> that that's terrible. I, yes, it's bad. Um, but that they are very much in a holding pattern right now, um, as far as you know, they're going to be good, but I don't know if they're ever going to try to go and be great. The Tigers might still be a ways away. So maybe this is the time for them to try to really make their move. You know, and I think that, again, it wraps up to what we we said multiple times in this entire episode. It comes down to hitting. If you can see them establish the hitting, and they really do, because I think a part, a, a big portion then of that this year was that the hitting would disappear and pitching would go out and give up two to three runs. I think that's very, very reasonable for pitching this, you know, these days and age. Like, I, I think if you're going to give up two to three runs, that's okay because your hitting should be able to suffice. And um, and so if the hitting comes up and we're seeing the home runs and we're seeing the doubles and the gaps and things like that, and we're seeing, you know, a consistent four to five runs a game, then you may actually see them compete, which truly is what Dayton's vision is. So maybe they do go make that one or two moves that kind of help that offense out. And, um, you know, if Salvi has a third of a season, uh, you know, a little bit less of what he did this year and, I just think that there's still my optimization or my optimism comes from, I think that they're still going to make something happen. That's going to make us as fans go, wow. And it's going to help out moving forward into next year. Like you said, James Shields or somebody like that, something like that. I just, I have this weird feeling is going to happen and that's where the tide's going to start to turn and the culture is going to start to change. And like, the Whit Merrifields are going to be able to rally people. Salvador Perez is going to be like, hey, you guys remember what 2015 was like, and those guys are going to start to come together, and us as a fan base are going to uh, – what was that song that we always sang in 14 and 15? Fetty Wap is going to come back, and <laughs> that type of thing, that vibe it's, is going to come honestly, back. Honestly, that song is still way better than uh, Tech Nine's Red Kingdom. That's a <laughs> I hate that song. Um, but, yeah, dude, I, I first off, super appreciate you coming on and talking so long with me. Um, yep. it was hard. You're so good to talk baseball with it. It's hard to stop once we get going. Uh, but one <laughs> more time, uh, this is Lucas Murphy. Who's joined us. Um, you can find him at, um, the beat of KC on Twitter, or you can find, uh, that's his app. His name is Lucas Murphy, um, mm-hmm. on Twitter. And then you can find him writing for the SIA network. Correct. Correct. Good. Well, Lucas, we really appreciate you joining us and, um, talking baseball Hopefully we can do another one kind of after the they're getting close to starting camp and kind of talk a little bit more about the outlook of everything, but it's been a real pleasure, man. And go, uh, go Chiefs, go Royals. And uh, thanks as always for listening to not just another sports podcast.